Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Our intent is to look at the life of Abraham and make some comparisons as to us, what we are or what we ought to be whichever it it might apply. I think we need to realize that we're talking about a man who grew up in a little town or a small city by the name of Ur that is right in the middle of all of the conflict in the Near East right now. In Kuwait and Iraq is the stomping grounds of Abraham. That's where he was born and raised and lived a quite a long time until finally God called him away from his homeland to take him to a land that he had never seen before, didn't even know where it was or even what its name was to be, but simply to follow what God had instructed him to do. Now, for those of you who are a little interested in, uh, in history, we'll have to go back to, to Noah, and his son Shem, you remember that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it's through Shem that we find the line of Abraham. And it goes from Shem, then all the way through in the 11th chapter, you can find all these guys' names, and such as Eber and Peleg and Ru and all the others, until we get down to a man by the name of Terah. A Terah is the father of, of Abraham, of Nahor, and of Haran. Now, you may remember at least uh, Haran because he was the father of Lot, but Haran died as a young man after Lot had been born, and so Abraham takes this young boy, Lot, into his family, and that creates some problems that we'll deal with tonight. But in the 12th chapter and the first two verses, we will note these words. Now the Lord said unto Abram, and notice he is only called Abram here without the H in the word, uh, or the H-A, A-B-R-A-M, as opposed to A-B-R-A-H-A-M, because God changed his name later. But the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. I'm not sure there are very many of us that would be obedient to that kind of an order. Would actually pick up and go, just simply because God told us to. In verse 2 we have the promise, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Those words are to me very important and uh, to, to be recognized. Thou shalt be a blessing. We want God to bless us and put upon us a blessing. And we pray to him and say, Lord, give me a blessing. Give me this, that, or something. We want to invoke his life into ours. 
and seldom perhaps think that we in turn are to be a blessing. And I have spoken of that, I think, in times past. So let's, let's move on just a bit. He said that he was to go into a land that he would be shown, not knowing where it would be, nor what kind of land it was. But I want you to go over to the fifth verse. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and here's the phrase that really excites me. And into the land of Cana they came. Here is blind faith exemplified in all of its force that Abraham was obedient to God and went out according to his instructions. Complete obedience. If there is a word amongst many, that ought to reflect a Christian. It ought to be the word obedience. If we are Christian, then it ought to mean something. If we are Christian, we will follow our Lord which requires obedience, not happen-so-fellowship, but deliberate, intentional following according to the leadership of our own Lord. This is not exemplified well amongst Christian people. And we are criticized as churches oft times because of our way of life not reflecting the leadership of the Lord. How can we expect blessings from God and call upon Him and invoke Him to be a blessing in our lives if in response, we are not obedient to the direction that God has given. Abraham was one who followed the Lord in his direction. And he went in blind faith into a land he'd never seen into Canaan. Then, if you will notice, down in verse 8, when he got into this land, the first thing that he did after pitching his tent was to build an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord you will notice throughout the Old Testament in many occasions that when a change in one's life pattern took place the first thing that the people did was worship. I am convinced that when we make a drastic change, and it may not be as drastic as Abraham's, but a change in our life pattern, 
the first thing we ought to do is worship. I'm not saying the first thing we ought to do is come to church. I'm saying the first thing we ought to do is worship. I'm saying the first thing we ought to do is in our own family, in our own personal life, stop and praise God. Whether we understand the circumstances surrounding what has taken place or not. When we move, some of you have moved. Some of you moved into this community. A lot of our people have moved to other communities. If we had all of our people back from south, we'd have a pretty good-sized congregation this morning. We got a lot of people in the south that moved. The first thing that ought to happen when a person has made a change in his place of abode, in his occupation, or some other episode has come along in his life, is to stop at that point and worship. Get on our knees and praise God. Sometimes we don't feel much like it because the episodes that have taken place have, have not been particularly good. But that's the first thing to do. And that's what Abram did. He worshipped. Now we have a picture of Abraham, or Abram, whichever you want to call him at this point, of being a very strong, faithful person. You know, he had weaknesses. Anytime you put somebody on a pedestal, he's going to fall off. Do you know that? Anytime you do it, expect the person to end up a little bit tarnished in your mind because no man or woman will match your expectation totally. And there's not even one in the New, in the new or the Old Testament say Jesus Christ himself that can accomplish it. Abraham is called a tremendous man of faith and what do you know? He fell off the pedestal. Well, let's look at how he did it. After he got into the land of Canaan, there became a, a, a famine. They didn't have anything to eat. And as others after him did, they went down to Egypt in order to find food to eat. And, and on the way down there, Abraham sort of looked over at his wife She's about 70 years old. And he thought, boy, she's a pretty good-looking woman. When I get down there to Egypt, those men in Egypt are going to think, boy, she's good-looking. I'd like to have her for my wife. And they'll kill me and take her. Now, I'm telling you, Sarah must have been a mighty good-looking young woman if she's still good-looking at 70. Enough that somebody's going to steal her. But she was apparently quite appealing in her appearance. And so Abraham said to Sarah, when we get down to Egypt, you just tell everybody you're my sister. Because if you don't, they're going to kill me. They're going to take you. And lo and behold, all the men of Egypt begin to look at Sarah and think, boy, she's a pretty good-looking woman. 
And so finally she ended up in Pharaoh's house. And I'll shorten the story. Pharaoh found out about it and called Abraham and said, what are you trying to do to me? Why did you tell me that she was your sister? She is your wife. You take her and leave. Well, you would think Abraham would have learned. But if you'll go over to the 20th chapter, you'll find that he repeats the same thing again. He didn't learn the first time that he ought to do things like that. Over the 20th chapter, and then we'll back up a little bit, but over the 20th chapter, uh, we begin with Abraham journey thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. Well, don't worry about those names. The point is that the king of Gerar took another look also at this beautiful woman and said, I'd like to have her. And Abraham simply said in the second verse, when he inquired about who she was, uh, she's my sister. The second time, is she his sister? Why would he pull such a, a boner? A lie? No, he didn't lie, or did he? You see, Abraham thought, now, God's not in this country. Nobody fears God here. That's what verse 11 says. And if I don't tell them that she's my sister, they're going to kill me and take her. Well, the king did take her, and the Lord talked to, to the king of Emelech in a dream nighttime, and told him, hey, this woman, don't you marry her. She belongs to another man. She's Abraham's wife. Now, what's the message? The message deals with misjudgment. Abraham said, nobody worships God in Gerar. They don't know anything about God, and yet the king had a private conversation with God, recognized God and the honorability of not taking another man's wife, and asked, well, why did you tell me that she was your sister? God told me she's your wife. And then Abraham has to explain and verse 12, he gives the explanation. She is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. Did you know that? She was a half-sister. So he really hadn't told a lie, or had he? It's that thing of telling just enough to keep uh, everybody believing what we want them to believe. Telling the truth, but telling it in such a way that we deceive somebody. You know, there's going to be a lot of shock in heaven when we get up there and look around to discover who all made it and who didn't make it. Because we have already prejudged, like Abraham, nobody worships God in Gerar. Nobody serves God unless they do it in the Olive Branch Baptist Church, that's all. 
How anybody else has got to be going to hell because they're not a part of our congregation? We don't say that, but there are congregations who do say that, you know. But we still have a tendency to look at another person and say, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. And then we go to heaven, and what do you know? There stands that person. How did they get there? I have said they can't go. We have to be careful in our judgment, for we don't know the background. Here was a whole nation of Gerar and their king, Abimelech, that worshipped God. And Abraham said, nobody serves God in Agar. And he was totally wrong and got caught in his lie. So Abraham has fallen off the pedestal. He has a weakness. But he doesn't stay weak. Let's go back to chapter 13. When Abraham left his homeland, went, first of all, with his father up to Haran. His father died there, and then God sends him on to Cana. He took with him his nephew Lot. And over a period of time, the herds of Abraham and Lot grew and their servants grew. And finally, it was to the point that there wasn't enough land for them to continue living together. And the herdsmen began to fight amongst themselves. And Abraham calls Lot and says, look, let's not have a family squabble. Let's separate. You go one way and I'll go another and wherever, if you go east, I'll go west. You go north, I'll go south. Let's separate. I think this says something about the character of Abraham that's very important. And comes right down to where we live. And that is, in our families, there is a tendency to squabble at times, is there not? Unless some of you are different than my family. We had ways of finding differences of opinion and uh, do a little fussing and fighting. And I suspect most families are that way. Now, there are two ways that we can approach that kind of squabble, and that is we can stand up for our rights and say, now looky here, Lot, I've got as much right to be here as you do, and you take care of those scoundrels uh, that are tending to your flocks and keep them from fighting with my men. Now, what would that have accomplished? Except Lot and Abraham were going to square off with each other. And this is usually what happens, is that we want our rights, and so we stand up for them, and we're ready to put up our fists and start knocking heads if people don't do in our family the way we want them to do. But Abraham was not this kind of fellow. He was bigger than that. It takes a big person to just back off. And Abraham said to Lot, you go ahead. Take the best. Take whatever you want. I'll take the leavings. That's a great person. And that's the Christian attitude. 
even in family differences. And certainly, it ought to be the same thing within the church and within the Christian community in general, is that we say to each other, look, let's don't squabble. Let's just separate. You go your way and I'll go mine. And that's what happened. Lot took a look towards Sodom, and we're going to talk about that tonight. It so happened as he lived in Sodom for a while, some of the warring tribes around Sodom came down to Sodom and uh, overcame the, the city and took Lot and his family, of course some others, and lots of loot, and, and uh, took them captive. And Abraham heard about it. You know, it would be the best the normal thing, not the best thing, I shouldn't have said that, the normal thing, a person would say, well, that's just good enough for him. He was an ordinary lad anyway. All he wanted to do was fuss and fight. Every time we family got together, he created a quarrel. He wouldn't stay still. He wanted to talk about things that was everybody get all in the uproar. So just good enough for him. He's out of my way. They captured him, let him fight his own battles. I'm not going to worry about him anymore. But no, I'm not Abraham. Abraham armed his, his own servants, and he took off after them and, and, and uh, overran the opposing armies and took Lot and his family and brought them back. And you know what Lot did? Instead of being grateful and, and coming back into the family fold again, he took back off and went to Sodom. Right back where he'd been. And Abraham was the merciful good man who did not want his nephew to make such an error, but was willing to be quiet and just rescue him when it was necessary. We need men in our families and women in our families like that. Then, lastly, this morning, I want us to notice another thing. This happens actually in chapter 17, when God finally renews the covenant. He comes back to Abraham again, and now Abraham's 99 years old. Or 90, I beg your pardon, 90. Yes, 99. 99 years old. He's about to turn 100. He now has a beautiful 90-year-old wife, and she doesn't have any children. And God promises Abraham something. In verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. I'm going to multiply you, and you don't have any children. You're 100 years old. Your wife is 90, and God is being so foolish to say you're going to have kids. We laugh at God sometimes, and that's exactly what Abraham did down in the 17th verse. Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. <laughs> God telling me I'm a hundred years old and I'm going to have a child of a woman that's 90? You know something? That's doubt. That's questioning the wisdom of God. That's not being willing to listen to what God has to say and follow through with it. Doubt is a lack of trust. So since Abraham doubted, again he's fallen off the pedestal, 
He suggested to God that it ought to be done some other way. He had a servant that was very deserving and he could become the heir to Abraham and God rejected that. He had a son by a handmaid of Sarah, Hagar, and she had a boy. And maybe he could become my heir. And God said, no, you're going to have a son by Sarah. Another sign of a Christian. A very important sign. And that is, we walk by faith, not by sight, said Paul to the Corinthians. That's a sign of a Christian who may not understand what God is going to do or how it's physically possible to be achieved, but nevertheless, we will Take God at his word and believe him that he will perform what he said he would perform. We are not well prone to take God at his word. We totally ignore, for the most part, the promise that God made to bring you all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. We don't believe that. We find so many excuses and reasons as to why we should not be obedient to the commands as we read them in the scripture and begin to say, but in my case there is an exception. No, no, no. There are no provisions for those exceptions in God's word. When he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is, there's no exception to that. But the place for a Christian is in the assembly of God's people. Not only for the benefit of God, although we certainly ought to praise his name and therefore he received benefit, but for the benefit of the congregation and certainly the benefit of the individual. Many times... I see somebody who for some reason or another was not in church and they ask me about how things went and what went on and I describe to them that particular service and they say, I'm sorry I wasn't there. Indeed they are sorry. As a matter of fact, I think they're pretty sorry too. <laughs> I wonder what God thinks. Because the absence caused them to miss the presence of God in a mighty way. We are people who exercise our faith and go and do and be what God has commanded without exception. Abraham comes back to being a man of faith and we'll talk about that tonight in his sacrifice of his only son that finally was born 
to that 90-year-old woman. I wonder if God were looking today for somebody to call out of a little community called Ur or called Turtle Creek or called Danville or called Chapmanville to send that person and that family to a totally strange land for the purpose of establishing a people of faith would he find ears that are listening and hearts that are molded and men and women of faith that would step out and do what he said simply because God said it? Men of faith women of faith. That's what a Christian is. A person that lives by faith. And that says, I don't understand it. I can't see it. I don't know what God has in mind, but he said it, and I believe it. That's what a Christian is and what we ought to demonstrate. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.